Hey everybody, good afternoon. Welcome into another edition of To The Point Podcast. We are here today to talk about a couple of previews in the NFL. We got three remaining. Today we're going to be talking about the AFC South and the AFC North, which are both intriguing in their own ways. Saturday we'll do our final preview where we will talk about the AFC West, which might be the most interesting division of them all with all the turmoil that's happened this offseason in the AFC West and the players added. And we actually will talk about the AFC West today briefly because there was a signing today in the NFL that has to do with the AFC West. So there you go. Some news that we will talk about on Saturday. We also talk about today because the NFL doesn't stop and the news cycle doesn't stop as well. But before we get to our previews today, I wanted to start with the U.S. Open. And I talked yesterday about Serena Williams and the fact that she was an underdog on FanDuel when it came to betting. She was a betting underdog, which was complete a rarity, something you don't see with Serena Williams, the greatest tennis player in her sport ever, not close in my opinion. But I mentioned yesterday on the show that I thought Serena Williams was going to win her match last night. Playing Annette Contevet, number two player in the world, had only reached a major quarterfinal once, so she's an established winner, but not an established winner in the sense of majors, consistent dominance. She's just she's a good player, like a lot of the women's like a lot of like a lot of the players right now. I shouldn't have just said women because I look at the Sissy Pass Ubada. I talked about that earlier. Look at Felix Ojeda-Aliassime. Look at the Canadian men's tennis players. They can't be consistent. They can't win shit at majors. Well, I do the show yesterday. I say Serena's going to win. I say, well, I might as well back up my claim. If I'm wrong, I'll have to come on the show tomorrow and say, you know what? I was wrong. Sometimes I do get things wrong a lot. Not that much, really. I'm right a lot. But I said, I'm going to double down. I'm going to go on FanDuel. And I'm going to bet. So that's what I did. I put a little reasonable bet on Serena Williams to win her match last night. And she pulled it off in three sets. And, of course, it's a good day because Noah wins some money, and that's, that's always a good day. When, when Noah's winning, I mean, that's everybody wins. At least that's how I think people should approach life. But, again, that might just be me thinking too much about myself. Nevertheless, looking past the fact that it was a good night for me when it comes to winning a few gambling bets, last night was an incredible sporting event. If you missed it, I feel for you because I was tired last night, you know, midweek, you get through it, but I, I had to keep watching because Serena Williams got it through a first set, found a way to win it, got broke her serve once, but her return improved. The other night I talked about how her return of serve was really a big weakness in her game. It was not last night. She improved it. Her movement was better. Second set, she fell apart. She just didn't have it. She had two times she was up 40 love in service games. She ended up getting broke. But the perseverance, the willpower in that third set from Serena Williams to win is truly remarkable. Also, the fact that she was winning long rallies. Contevet, who's in much better shape, who tried to make Serena move, was losing long rallies against the GOAT, who's 41 years old. 
some of those points I've never seen before. Not to mention, you have Eldrick Tiger Woods in Serena's box. It was incredible theater. Zendaya is, is at the U.S. Open. Anthony Anderson, Spike Lee, of course, he has to get his two, two cents in because anything New York, Spike Lee has to be there. Why not? But it was a great, it was a great night, truly. All in all, I found it really compelling. Serena was fantastic, as she always is. And she finds a way to win. But it was just such great theater. Because what makes it even more compelling is that you know if she loses, that's it. It's over. This is the swan song. Every match is more compelling because you know it could be your last one, which makes it all the more interesting. How far can she push this? Can she, she, will she beat the world number two? Could she go on a run? Sports shows like First Take in the United States who don't talk about tennis ever because they talk about basketball and they talk about football and that's it are talking about Serena Williams today, having discussions about her winning the U.S. Open. I don't think that's going to happen. You could bet that right now and get plus money, and you'd win some cash if, you, if she won the U.S. Open. I don't think that's going to happen. I find that very unlikely, but it's Serena Williams. Betting against Serena Williams is like betting against Tom Brady. It is a stupid bet, so maybe I should throw a couple dollars on Serena Williams. I don't know. She's going to play Anna Tomlanovich. She's from Australia. She made the quarterfinals at Wimbledon. She's had a pretty decent season. But an unranked player who... Something I think that also needs to be discussed, something needs to be pontificated about is all these players know they're facing Serena. And yes, it would be great to be the legend killer, to be the one that ends her career to shut it down, you can say for the rest of your life, I played Serena Williams in her last match, and I beat her. It's a pretty good feeling. That's a great way to, even if you have a decent career, if you can say that, that's pretty damn good, right? Well, Tom Lonovich is young. A young woman from Australia. And she's got to face Serena Williams on center court, and you know it'll be tomorrow night in primetime, as it should be. You know how I know Serena is doing great for ratings and that the U.S. Open just loves that she's winning? Serena and Venus are playing doubles tonight, and it's on primetime at the U.S. Open. 8 o'clock slot on Arthur Ashe Stadium. It's incredible. That would never happen. If Nadal was playing doubles, they wouldn't do this. Nadal second on Ash, by the way, playing Fabio Fognini. Should be a fun match. But Serena has that kind of power. She has those ratings. They're putting her on primetime in a doubles match, if you can believe it. That never happens. The Bryan brothers in their heyday were not getting primetime slots midweek at the U.S. Open. Serena Williams has that type of power, has that type of influence, has that type of fandom. Now, she played a long match last night. I'm not sure how much the doubles will help her, quite frankly. It might hinder her chances of going deeper in the tournament. I mentioned how I thought she should play because I want to see her play doubles one more time with her sister. They've won multiple Grand Slams together. 
and it's just a great way to go out as well. Venus lost in the first round. Venus should retire. She is, she's done. She just can't play anymore. Seven of her last 10 majors, she's lost in the first round. That's when you know. It's like a UFC fighter that is getting knocked out in the first round, fight after fight. Dana White's going to cut you from the roster. Unfortunately, the, AT, the WTA is not going to do that, and these majors love to see Venus Williams play. Unlikely to happen. So, um, I worry about that with Serena with just her physical fitness. Maybe it'll help in the sense that she gets more tennis under her belt. But with more time on the court, with less time before tomorrow night, it could ultimately hurt her. I'm interested to see where that goes, but it's it's thrilling. I'll be watching her and Tom Milanovic tomorrow night because I'm watching every Serena match until she loses. Not to mention, it's the U.S. Open. It's great tennis. Last night, Bianca Andreescu, incredibly impressive win over Beatrice Adidmaya. Leila Annie Fernandez couldn't serve. She loses. Felix Ojealiasim bows out and just really a weak, weak performance. Nothing. Nothing. Daniil Medvedev cruises to the second round. But some interesting five-setters, some guys moving. J.J. Wolf from the United States, a guy you wouldn't think. Tommy Paul and Sebastian Corda battled it out for over three and a half hours yesterday, a five-set match. Tommy Paul comes out the victor. Nick Kyrgios wins a four-set match on Armstrong. He's on to the third round, much to his chagrin. Tennis has been good so far, extremely good. Today already, Victoria Azarenka has advanced to the third round. She's gone on deep runs here. Looking at the, uh, the state of affairs today. Carlos Alcaraz Garcia's on Ash right now. Yannick Sinner's up two sets to love on, on Eubanks Canadian. Dane Evans is through. Marin Cilic. Still a lot of decent matches to come today, but you have Davidovo advanced via walkovers. Iga Swiatek, the world number one, is through dismantling Sloane Stevens. Lauren Davis, the American, wins. Belinda Bencic. Jessica Bagula, another American, is to the third round. Tonight, you have. Uh, Danielle Collins, who beat Osaka in round one, she will be on Armstrong in prime time, so that'll be opposition to the the doubles match. I don't think many people will be watching that, but nevertheless, that's what's happening tonight. But incredible stuff from Serena Williams. She continues to put on a show. She'll continue to get big crowds to go to Flushing Meadows, and this is exactly what the sport has hoped for. You have to keep prolonging the goodbye. You have to keep prolonging the see you later because she just keeps winning these these matches. So good for Serena Williams, good for the sport of tennis, and just a complete, just a thrilling match last night between Serena and Annette Contavet. They both deserve a ton of credit because I thought they battled it out in that third set. It was a gutsy performance for Serena to win because Contavet did not make it easy, but ultimately she's through into the third round of the U.S. Open. Breaking news here on the show. Dallas Stars signed Jake Ottinger to a three-year, $12 million contract. So if you're unaware, Jake Ottinger is the Dallas Stars starting goaltender. He's 23 years old. And he had a breakout year last year. Was fantastic in the first-round playoff series against the Calgary Flames. I believe he had a 950 save percentage in that series. And 
I applaud the Dallas Stars with this deal. $4 million for a number one goalie. To me, he's a guy you build around. He's a guy that's going to be your franchise goaltender for many years to come. I mentioned before in the offseason, I think Dallas has a team that can compete in the Western Conference and legitimately say, we could do some damage if everything falls in place. They got a great goaltender. They got a great young kid in Jason Robertson. They need to see him follow that up this season. Rupe Hints again, needs to continue to find it. Joe Pavelski's back. He's always productive. He never seems to fall off no matter how old he gets. They, they lose John Klingberg. You could say that's a net positive. They still have Miro Heiskanen decide to go Heiskanen and get rid of Klingberg. They, Pete DeBoer is a new head coach there. I like Dallas's team. They're playing in the Central, which is the tougher of the two divisions at this point. Although you could argue you got Chicago who stinks, you have Arizona who stinks. So there are some bad teams there. St. Louis is tough in that division. Winnipeg, I think, will be more competitive this year than they were last year. But Dallas is at the point right now where they should be looking to compete. It's not a time to raise the flag, start a rebuild. Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn are on this roster, whether you like them or not. You might as well try to win with them while they're under contract, and then you can make decisions for the future. But I've said this about Calgary. I've said this about Vancouver about Winnipeg when you have a bona fide number one goaltender it's extremely hard to commit to a rebuild because in the back of your mind as a general manager you know that your team's pretty good because you have that backstop you have the goaltender that could win you something the rest of your group might not be great and that's when you supply good pieces around that goaltender then you got a chance Calgary looked at their situation they lost Matthew Kachuk. They lose uh, Johnny Goudreau. They're not going to sit there with their hands behind their hands tied behind their back and bitch and moan about it. They're going to go out there and try to get better. They did. They got Huberto. They got Mackenzie Weger. They get Nazem Kadri. Bing, bang, boom. Now they're still in a position to compete for a Stanley Cup. At least compete for a division title. Dallas, you have Jay Gottinger. Compete. Try to win your division. Compete with... Compete with St. Louis. Compete with the good teams in those divisions. With the reigning defending champions, the Colorado Avalanche. Because guess what? Something Dallas has that Colorado doesn't? Dallas has a number one goaltender who's cheap. Four million bucks. Georgiev makes over three. Georgiev hasn't proven anything at the NHL level. Frank Kuz has proven that he's a good number two. That's it. So you at least have that leg up. St. Louis has Bennington. I like Bennington. When he's healthy, he's an extremely valuable goaltender. But you look around and you say, well, Winnipeg decided to keep pieces because they have Connor Hellebuck and they will keep Shifley, we'll keep Wheeler, we'll see what we can do with a new coach and new mindset next season. See if we can win some games with Rick Bonus. Because when you have that building block, when you have that definitive piece, that can push you over the top, it's extremely difficult to say, yeah, let's let's tear it down. Because where, where does that goalie go? You trade that goaltender, and then what? You're searching for that goaltender again while you're rebuilding your roster. That's why there's so few goalie trades of substance. Sure, Aiden Hill gets traded three times. Eric Comrie will get dealt. Michael Hutchinson will get put on waivers 80 times in their career. But the great goaltenders don't get traded. Because they're so damn valuable. 
you don't want to lose them. You keep them even if your team's going to go through a rebuild because you think that guy will help you when you're eventually when it's eventually time to turn the corner once again. But I applaud the Dallas Stars. Jake Ottinger is the future in net there. He is a number one goaltender. And he gives them a chance to win every night, and there's not much more you can ask as an NHL exec. Good signing by the Dallas Stars. I think Ottinger could ask for more money, but he takes $4 million over three years. It's a good contract. It's only three years. He'll be 26 when he's a free agent. He can hit it big then. It's a win-win. Good for, good for Dallas. Easy contract. Good for Ottinger. Get some security. Three years until you get the free agency. You can do what you want then. Love the deal. Now, for a deal that I don't love so much, today in the NFL, Adam Schefter reported this morning about 10 p.m. that Russell Wilson had agreed to a five-year contract extension with the Denver Broncos, totaling $245 million with $170 million guaranteed, meaning with the five years, five-year extension and the two years still remaining on the contract, Russell Wilson is tied to the Denver Broncos for seven more seasons making that making him a Denver Bronco until his late 30s. I'll start off by saying this. Extremely difficult to find a starting quarterback, to find a franchise quarterback in this league. And when you have one, you don't want to let him go. The Denver Broncos have had the most success they've ever had in their history as an organization by trading for a quarterback. Trade for John Elway, win two Super Bowls. Trade for Peyton Manning, win one, two appearances. This offseason, they looked and said, okay, we could get Russell Wilson Jr. the third. We could get a two-time, one-time Super Bowl winner, two-time, two appearances. He's a proven veteran that knows how to get to a Super Bowl. If Pete Carroll and the idiot offensive coordinator give the ball to Marshawn Lynch. He's got two Super Bowls, and maybe Seattle doesn't get torn down like they have in the last couple of seasons. Nevertheless, he's a winner. He's proven it. He knows what to do. Everybody around the league seems to love Russell Wilson. He's very boring in interviews. He's not my favorite quarterback, to be honest with you. I do like watching him play, but when it comes to substance, when it comes to content, he doesn't provide much. He's bland. He's moon mist, but he can win. Scramble, he can win games. He's a good quarterback. However, what I think some people are missing is I see, I, I check books every day for who's going to win the division. The Eagles are really hot right now. They're going to win the AFC, uh, NFC East and potentially represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. That's something that's getting a lot of cash right now. You have... And another one, another team that's really hot is the Denver Broncos. They are being bet on widely to win the AFC West. Now I'll reveal who I see winning every division next next week. I'll also talk about the AFC West on Saturday when we do our preview. But Russell Wilson has been declining the last number of seasons, and it's not as if he's playing with a bunch of bums in Seattle. D.K. Metcalf is an elite receiver. Tyler Lockett has been one of the best red zone receivers in the NFL for the last five seasons. He's played with good running backs, Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, Marshawn Lynch, 
good coach is Pete Carroll. And yet he's regressed. Yet he's had a good roster and hasn't been able to have any success. And it raises my antenna. Because I look and say, well, if Russell Wilson is so good, why, why didn't Seattle have any success in his last few seasons there? Did it get stale? Could have. He goes to Denver and he's got Cortland Sutton. And he's got Jerry Judy, who has all the potential in the world to be great. He's got Tim Patrick. Javante Williams, who I love at running back. Melvin Gordon, great one-two punch. Got all the pieces, but he had pieces in Seattle. Well, maybe it's the offensive. Maybe it is the offensive line. Maybe it is. But maybe it's just that Russell Wilson isn't as good at position as he used to be. Could that be the could that be it? I think it could be. He's just not the player that he once was. It's a lot of money. It's a long term. It's a big commitment to a guy in his mid thirties. Now the Colts just traded for Matt Ryan. We'll talk about him momentarily. He's in his mid thirties. He gets a contract by the Colts. He's now he's traded from Atlanta. Guys are playing longer, but when you see somebody regress, nobody has been sacked over the course of a 10-year period more than Russell Wilson in the history of the NFL. That's a fact. 10-year career, nobody has been sacked as much as Russell Wilson has. So that's problematic. That's not good. I'm interested to see how the year goes. The Denver Broncos are, are fascinating. They are. That whole division is interesting. Now, what happens with it? I'm. We'll talk about it Saturday. We'll talk next week about who's winning the division. But compelling to say the least, the AFC West. We'll see what happens down the line. Good for the Broncos if they're happy. Good for the Broncos fans if they're happy. I would be a bit concerned. I don't think it's a great contract. I'm not even concerned about it a- aging poorly. It might age poorly from the go. It's Thursday night. You're thinking Thursday night football. That starts next week. Week today, NFL season starts. Can't wait. And we're going to get to our previews in a second. We do have college football tonight. Big college football night. Thursday night college. I love it. We got Purdue, Penn State tonight. Big, big 10 game on Fox. Pittsburgh against West Virginia. Two transfer quarterbacks looking to make an impact on new teams. Bit of rivals. You get Minnesota hosting New Mexico State. They are minus 36. New Mexico State's getting plus 36 tonight. I'm smelling smelling something. Might be smelling a bet. Might be smelling that I'm taking New Mexico State tonight to cover plus 36, which I am. I'm also looking around and West Virginia getting seven and a half against Pittsburgh. Pitt's got a new quarterback. Kenny Pickett's in the NFL. Jordan Addison's at USC. West Virginia's got JT Daniels transfer from the University of Georgia. Might be sniffing on that game for West Virginia to cover. I'm not taking the Purdue-Penn State game. I don't know how that game's going to go. Two teams that with Sean Clifford and quarterbacks coming back for both teams. I don't know how that game's going to go, so it scares me to bet that game, but 
Those are just a couple games tonight that I'm looking at, that I'm sniffing around on. New Mexico State, Minnesota, a little cover action. And then we got we got uh, West Virginia sniffing around on making it a tight game with the University of Pittsburgh. When you see plus 36, it's really hard not to bet on that team to cover. Believe me, there are 36-point blowouts. Alabama, Utah State this weekend. Utah State's coming off a win against UConn. Will they keep that game close? We'll talk about that line amongst many other betting lines tomorrow on Big Money Friday. Matt Wright will join me, preview college football, and get into gambling of it all as well. Full degenerate style. It's going to be fun tomorrow. Buckle up for that. 1 o'clock, Matt Wright will be on at 1.30. Join us live. If you can't join us later, you can always find the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you want to go. Apple TV, put you on, put me on your Apple TV. You can listen to me spew all night. I do it sometimes for my ego. Just kidding, but maybe I should. Maybe I should. Who knows? Now, let's get into the previews. And we're going to start with the AFC South, and we're going to start with the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee Titans are the reigning AFC South division winners. They come back with a team that is similar to last season, to be completely honest. Ryan Tannehill is back. Derrick Henry is returning. But there's something missing. You're thinking, well, what? It's A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown, the top receiver for the Tennessee Titans, is gone to the Philadelphia Eagles. They traded him at the trade deadline for a first-round pick, which they then flipped into Traylon Burks, who I like. But the Tennessee Titans are, have a big hole with A.J. Brown being gone because he was such a massive part of that offense. They also lost Austin Ferkser. They also, also lost Delaney Walker at tight end. Michael Pruitt has departed as well. They cut their longtime punter, Brett Kern. So this roster is going through some changes. Mike Vrabel is still the head coach. They still have the same general manager. All of that is in tow. But you look around, Robert Woods is added to the receiving core. Austin Hooper is now a tight end on this team. It's not the same as it used to be. Now, X-Factor number one is no A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown was targeted over 40% last year in the NFL. That is the second highest rate in the National Football League. He was the safety valve for Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill was throwing the ball in double, triple coverage because A.J. Brown's an elite receiver. He is just a guy that will go up and make a catch. He can run slants. He can run on the outside. He's a Swiss Army knife of just pure skill. And the Browns, sorry, the Titans are going to miss A.J. Brown a ton, in my opinion, because I look at their receiving core, and I mention a few. Robert Woods is returning. He's a good receiver. He's had a very good career. Was good in Buffalo. Was then traded to the Rams. Had a good stint there. Tore his ACL last year, so he did not play in the Super Bowl or in the playoffs. So he's coming off of an injury. They added Allen Robinson. Thought he, it was okay to lose Robert Woods. 
So he's going to his third club following a significant knee injury. There's always question marks how he's going to play. I mentioned Traylon Burks. I love Traylon Burks at the University of Arkansas. He was paired with K.J. Jefferson, who is going to be one of the big players to watch in college this year, but I'll save that story for tomorrow. And you look at the situation, and he's a, he's a speedy receiver. He can do a lot of great things, but at the same time, he's a rookie. Ryan Tannehill is not a great quarterback. Ryan Tannehill's success is based off bootlegs, based off the running game being fantastic, and Traylon Burks might just not be a fit with this offense, might have a lesser season than people expect. I've heard he's not going high in fantasy boards. That might be because of Ryan Tannehill being his quarterback. I like him a lot. I like Devontae Smith a lot, though, and he didn't have a great rookie season. Sometimes that's quarterback. Sometimes that's opportunity. It can mesh into both. But Woods, Traylon Burks, uh, Westbrook, Ibrahim, uh, aren't they aren't elite receivers, and really their success alongside Austin Hooper, who was cut by the Cleveland Browns, the success of this receiving core is based off the production of Derrick Henry. And that's X-Factor 2. There's a two-part Derrick Henry X-Factor here. Number one is stay healthy. Derrick Henry missed 10 games last season. He returned in time to play in the AFC Divisional game, but he did not play particularly well. Yes, he was banged up. He was still dealing with a foot injury, and he gutted his way through that game. But my bigger concern is that injury health can come into play here, but how is Derrick Henry going to hold up? He's taken a lot of hits over the course of his career. He's a human Mack truck. He's a force on the field, but you can be the biggest, strongest running back. Sometimes you just can't take hits anymore, and you're not as good as you once were. And nobody has ran the ball more over the last three years than Derrick Henry. So he's been feeling the wear and tear. He's been doing all that he can to help the Tennessee Titans win. 95% of the league, the team's best player is the quarterback. The Tennessee offense is based off the running game with Derrick Henry that leads into play action with Ryan Tannehill. If Derrick Henry cannot do what he's done in years past, it's going to hurt the Titans even more because the receiving core is worse. I'm not sold on Derrick Henry having a season where he plays every game or that he's a 1,500-yard rusher and he's taking the league by storm. I worry that the hits are going to catch up to him, injuries come up, or he just becomes Ezekiel Elliott, where he's on the field. Yes, he's still there, but his yards per game are dropping, 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 and his impact just wasn't, isn't what it once was. We'll see. But my, my two, they're two most important players over the last two seasons. One's gone, and I... I have a feeling that the other is going to be a hindered, lesser version of what we remember him being. That does not strike positivity into the Tennessee Titans. To me, that would strike fear, and you start to wonder, what's this team going to look like? And I'm not so certain it's going to be a great team. I really don't, because there's... you you got decent pieces that could be really good, but at the same time, there's, there's weaknesses there. The offensive line for this team 
Taylor Lewan returns. He had a poor season last year at left tackle. He needs to improve. Dennis Daly's at left guard. They bring back Ben Jones at center. They don't have a great offensive line. It's the worst offensive line they've had in the Derrick Henry era and since Ryan Tannehill was brought over from the Miami Dolphins. So I'm not even if Derrick Henry is at full steam and he can plow ahead, I'm not sure the offensive line can take a, take advantage of of defensive lines. You got to play the Colts twice a season. We'll talk about the Colts. They're not an easy team to to bully because they got strong defenders that can block up the run and also get to the quarterback. This this offense has a lot of question marks, more than it has before for me. A.J. Brown would have been worth retaining, would have been worth paying him because he was so valuable to to, uh, Ryan Tannehill. And there's also the fact that the Titans had three quarterbacks in camp. Ryan Tannehill, Logan Woodside, who's been in Tennessee a number of seasons, active roster, practice squad, and Malik Willis, who they drafted in the third round out of Liberty. Malik Willis had an interesting camp. He definitely does not look ready to play in the NFL, but he's extremely athletic. He's a guy that can break out of the pocket. He could be another Lamar Jackson just taken in the third round. I think people in Tennessee are excited about Malik Willis. It's hard to get excited about Ryan Tannehill because he's so blasé. He's he's fine. He's not a great quarterback. He's not a bad quarterback. He's just he's a good quarterback. He got Tennessee, helped Tennessee get to the top seed in the AFC last year. One of the most surprising number one seeds in league history, if you ask me, that Tennessee was the number one seed, and Derrick Henry missed a large chunk of the season. Tannehill deserves credit for that success. If he could have a blockbuster year this year with this new roster without A.J. Brown, that does a lot for his case, even if Tennessee is ready to move off of him sooner rather than later. Other teams will want the services of Ryan Tannehill because of what he's accomplished in this league. But I do sense a little bit of a different smell, a different different feel in Tennessee over the, the offseason, what this roster looks like now going into training, go, heading into the regular season. Defensively, I, I like the defense, quite honestly. Jeffrey Simmons had a breakout year last year. He was one of the biggest stories in the NFL just the way he rushed the passer. The, the Titans beat the Bills last year, and it came down to the, the last play of the game where Jeffrey Simmons stuffed Josh Allen. It was a spectacular play. They won the game because of him, and he's an X-factor every time he's on the field. Bud Dupree is coming off a torn ACL, so he's going to be healthy. We'll see what he can bring for a second year after leaving Pittsburgh, so he'll be healthy. Kevin Byard plays safety. One of the best at his position in all of football. Caleb Farley is an X-Factor on this team. He's a player to watch. He plays corner. He was he tore uh, his knee up early last year. He's a high draft pick, eighth overall of the Titans. They want him to be a great, they want him to be a difference maker. Armani Hooker, Caleb Farley, Byard in that secondary is strong. Harold Landry the third, Danico Autry. So this defense for the Titans is still really good in my opinion. It's still an elite defense. They can rush the passer. They, they, uh, Bayard can be a ball hawk when he wants to, just reading plays and being that quarterback of the defense. One of the smartest players in all of the NFL, if you ask me. So I love the defense. I have question marks about this offense. 
I'll say this without giving too much away next week. I don't expect the Tennessee Titans to be the number one seed in the AFC again. That was a one-off. It was a great accomplishment. I don't expect that to be the same again this year. I'll even say I don't expect them to be a top two to three seed in the AFC this year if they're going to make the playoffs. They have some good pieces. They have some unknowns. A lot of guys returning from injury. A lot of guys you're banking on that haven't produced at a high level in a long time or just haven't because they've been in college. So Tennessee decides to, you know, decide to move on from A.J. Brown, an established guy. You get Traylon Burks, who's a much different receiver in the first round, who's a cheaper option right now than A.J. Brown, who was re-signed by the Philadelphia Eagles a second after he was traded there. They went a different route. They went the cheaper route. We'll see if it pays off for the Tennessee Titans as we move into this season. Now, a team that had a dreadful year last year, a team that has been a laughingstock since 2017, really, where they were a couple plays away from going to the Super Bowl with Blake Bortles as their quarterback. The Jacksonville Jaguars are coming off a 2-15 and season where they had an interesting season, to say the least. Urban Meyer was named head coach by Shot Khan. Urban had never coached in the NFL. He admitted he did not watch a lot of NFL football. And it, w- it was just a flat-out disaster. He was caught at his bar in Ohio State after not flying home in the team plane, getting a lap dance from a waitress while attending. That didn't go over well. He was then accused of kicking his field goal kicker, Josh Lambeau. That was a story. And then eventually he's fired by the Jags because he's so damn incompetent. Everybody hates him, and it's just a disastrous, disastrous year for Robert Meyer. Not to mention he got they found him saying some less than stellar things, some racist things, and they got him the hell out of there. So Urban Meyer is gone. Thankfully for this team, they can move on. Trevor Lawrence, the second-year quarterback, is getting a fresh start. He talked about having to be the adult in the room last year, even while Urban Meyer was there. So he had, he had a tough season to really grow and progress as a quarterback. He didn't get to do it. And Urban Meyer is back at Fox, work, working, talking about college football. You can catch him every Saturday on Fox Big Noon. Doug Peterson is the new head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, a.k.a. the former Super Bowl-winning head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Doug Peterson has had a good career. He's got a good track record. He didn't have the greatest time with Carson Wentz, but who has in this league? He's bounced around. Every coach says he's mercurial. He's hard to deal with. Doug Peterson's just one of those guys that has said that. But throughout training camp, all you hear is that things are going well with the Jags. Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence get along. Doug Peterson is trying to help his quarterback. He's trying to to really will him to, to improve his skills. And it's not just yell at him. It's not a negative attitude. It's not picking people. And this, te- this Jaguars team were extremely aggressive in the offseason. It starts with, obviously, Peterson. They get him as head coach. They move on for the offensive coordinator. And they bring in Christian Kirk from the Arizona Cardinals. Christian Kirk's been a good receiver in this league. He's been a guy that has been a number two or number three 
in Arizona with DeAndre Hopkins there, with Larry Fitz at the beginning. And he's evolved from more of a gadget receiver to a guy that I think Jacksonville views as a guy that could be a number one receiver for many years. That remains to be seen, but he is lightning fast. That's absolutely true. He, he has a lot of good things going for him. And he's going to get an opportunity in Jacksonville to prove his worth. I, I think that's something that is invaluable at this point is that he's going to get the opportunity, including they, they cut a uh, traded LaVisca Chenault, who's been in Jacksonville a number of years. So he's now gone, and Christian Kirk is in. He also added Zay Jones from the Las Vegas Raiders. Zay Jones is another guy who can just flat-out play. He's had some good seasons, had some big catches for Derek Carr. He can be a touchdown machine. So Zay Jones comes in. They keep Marvin Jones Jr., who was with Detroit for many years. He's now in Jacksonville. He's kind of become a staple for Trevor Lawrence. They had a rapport last year. He had, he had a decent season. They added Evan Ingram, who is a tight, who is a first-round tight end selection by the Giants in the draft. He hasn't worked out. He's kind of been an, an injury bug tight end where he, he just never works out. But he is athletic. He can do things on the football field. We'll see what he can bring on a new team. It's, it's a refresh for him. It's a new start. The Giants didn't pick up his option. I'm a, to me, he's another modern tight end that can't block. He has a lot of things that he can't do. But we'll see if Doug Peterson can make him valuable on this football team. But the good thing behind him, they have Chris Manhurts, who they've kept for many, many seasons. He came he's been two seasons now in Jacksonville after spending a number of years in Carolina. He can block. They also have Dan, Arl Dan Arnold. So they have a deep tight end run. They don't have a number one re wide receiver. They don't. But they definitely have they definitely have a lot of good receivers. And that can be just as good for teams where Trevor can throw the ball around. He's not going to be forced to throw to one person where he feels pressured to gun it around. He's got Marvin. He's got Zay. He's got Christian Kirk. Jamal Agnew is still on this team. He can be in gadget plays. Evan Ingram can get involved. And then also on this offense, they added Brandon Scherf from the Washington Commanders or Command Skins. So he's, he's coming over to this team. He's has been a multiple-time Pro Bowler guard at right guard. So he, he comes over to play right guard. Luke, they drafted Luke Fortner. He's going to play center for the Jacksonville Jaguars coming out. So there's a lot of promising things here. Not to mention, they have a two-headed monster at running back. James Robinson was a 1,000-yard rusher last year for behind a terrible offensive line and a terrible coaching staff. He was such a great player last year. He was a breakout star in the league. He was an unknown guy, this James Robinson. Just every week he was chugging yards, chugging yards. And he had, again, no O-line, no real help, yet he had, a, he had over 1,100 yards last year in a two-win team. He's got confident people around him now. And the thing with Jacksonville is they can throw two running backs at you that can do different things. James Robinson is more of a, just a pure running back. He can catch the ball out of the backfield, but I don't view it as his strength. Well, in the Trevor Lawrence draft, in late in the first round, the Jags had two, two picks, and they took, obviously, Trevor Lawrence won. Their second pick in the draft, they drafted Travis Etienne, also out of Clemson, Trevor Lawrence's teammate there. He was a Swiss Army knife at Clemson. He did a lot of things well. 
He was hurt in training camp last year with a Liz Frank foot injury, and he missed the entire season. So he's basically a rookie coming in with the Jaguars after missing all last year. I think he could be a great fantasy buy for 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 uh, if you're playing out there because nobody's going to know who this guy is. They don't know how good he is, how bad he is. He was taken late in the first round, and he's coming in after missing a year. So he, he is coming off an injury, so there's risk about that. But I love the fact that they got Robinson, just a pure running back, and then you have Etienne who can do it all. You can throw multiple looks at teams. You can use him out of the backfield. You can use him in jet sweeps. I think Etienne will have reps where he's lined out at wide receiver. This offense is way more complex than it was last year. They got speed. They got guys that can do a lot of different things. So it's not an elite, it's not a top 10 offense in the NFL. But I look at this group and I compare it to Tennessee and I look at the receiving core, I think I think Jacksonville's can be just as good. Just Kirk needs to be the guy to step up to have a big season to prove that he could be like a 1000-yard receiving type guy. That remains to be seen, but I think he's going to have every opportunity to do it after getting a big contract this offseason. Bringing us to the defense. That is less productive, less... It's, it's not a lot, this defense. They, got, they drafted Trayvon Walker, who's going to be playing linebacker. To me, he's still a reach with the first pick overall. I would have taken Aiden Hutchinson, who ends up with the Detroit Lions, but nevertheless, Jacksonville is happy with their pick. They have Shaquille Griffin at corner with Darius Williams, who's brought over from the Rams. He was their number two corner alongside Jalen Ramsey last year. So they add that. Josh Allen's really their best player on this defense. He's been a, a great – he's a different Josh Allen from the quarterback. He was drafted fourth overall four years ago. He's been the building block of this defense. Need to hope Trayvon Walker, Josh Allen can get to the quarterback. Roy Robertson-Harris is another guy that can be productive. But looking at it, Devon Hamilton, Ferranzo Fuscai, this defense is not elite yet by any means. Andre Sisco in corner. So they, they have some work to do with this defense and really improving it. Doug Peterson was brought in to work with the offense, build that. If you can do that, get some competent guys on the defense, get Trayvon Walker playing well in his first season like a Micah Parsons did last year. I don't think you can expect the same impact that Micah brought you. But if you could get half of that, if you could get him at least comfortable playing, if you can get him some confidence after this season, and then you can go into next year's free agency, spend a lot of money on, on uh, offensive players this year. If you could spend some money on defensive guys to get this team in a position where it wouldn't be out of this world for, for this team to compete for the AFC South title, which has been one of the weaker divisions in all of football for some time then I think that's a productive season for Doug Peterson and this team. It's not a terrible defense. I do think they got some good players that can flash, but they need to put some things together to truly be a threat with the big boys in this division. Mainly Tennessee and Indianapolis over the last five years because you look around and the Houston Texans since Deshaun almost said it, since he who must not be named has departed, They've been a nothing. They've been drafting. They've been developing. They've fired coaches. They've hired David Culley for a season. So it's mainly been Indianapolis and Tennessee. 
I personally think Jacksonville can be a decent team this year. I like their team. I think Trevor Lawrence is a good quarterback. I'm not saying they're going to win 12 games and they're going to win a division title. Do I think they can win six games this year? I do. I think t- Jacksonville can be a team like Detroit, who has got the second pick overall, and be competent this year. I'll put it this way. I don't think Detroit nor Jacksonville will be picking in the top four or five picks in the 2023 NFL draft. There are worse teams than those two. I expect both of them to be better than they were last year. I expect both of them to have some success. Now, I said breaking news. Well, more breaking news, and it oddly enough, it pertains to the AFC South, so this is perfect timing. Terrible news for the Tennessee Titans. I was just talking about Harold Landry, their middle linebacker. Apparently, he has torn his ACL in practice, and he's done for the season. Terrible news for Harold Landry. A big part of that defense in Tennessee. Jeffrey Simmons is huge up front. Harold Landry has really been the building block in the middle of that defense. And this isn't a player that will cost you a season. Tennessee, this year isn't done because you lose a Harold Landry. But as I mentioned, you don't have as good a roster as you did before. Your defense was a strength in my mind. And now you lose one of the key components to that defense. A top blow for the, ten- for the Tennessee Titans, even before the season starts, to lose Harold Landry III. He's done. Uh, I feel for him. I feel for the Tennessee Titans, and it gets even more pressure for Tennessee as their, as their roster isn't, isn't all that loaded. You lose an important piece, and now you got to scramble to get a guy ready to play to be your starting middle linebacker, and the season starts a week from Sunday. If I get more news on it, I will I will let you guys know, waiting for it to load here, waiting to hear from Adam Schefter. But I assume this was done in practice or in training because, yeah, just get you get through the preseason. That's the most frustrating part. Get through the preseason. You play some, play some snaps. You don't get hurt. So you're thinking, okay, well, I'm going to make it to the regular season. Then I'm, if something happens, well, that's bad luck. But at least I got to the regular season. And you're so close, and you don't get there just because of a practice or a training session. So – Tough, tough break for Harold Landry. You got to feel for him. And we'll see, we'll see what happens moving forward here. That brings us to the Houston Texans. A, a team that has very low expectations this year for good reason. Actually, they have the best betting odds to finish dead last in the NFL. I don't think they will. But they are being talked about as the worst team in the NFL. So you look after last year. David Culley was fired after one season, which made no sense because the team is going to be bad again this year, but they did it. Tyrod Taylor departs. for He goes down the road. He's now a New York Giant, so he's gone. He's out, he's out of the picture. Houston Texans bring in Lovey Smith, who's been coaching in college for a number of years. Lovey Smith, the former head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Chicago Bears, is back in the NFL. They draft Damian Pierce, who's going to be their running back one. He is an interesting prospect. I think he's going to be a fun player to watch this year on a team that's not really full of fun players. But Damian Pierce, they cut Marlon Mack, a veteran, to keep Damian Pierce to give him more reps. That tells you that they think very highly of this guy who was kind of a, a back that wasn't used all that much at Florida, but he, he's, shown some, he's shown some things in the preseason. 
Now, my X factor number one, and this is really an observation because there's not a lot of X factors on this team because I don't think they're going to be that great. But the Houston Texans have two players under contract going into 2023. That means the rest of their roster are on one-year contracts. Those one-year contracts include Philip Dorsett, who's bounced around the NFL, Chicago, he's, pl- he's played in Indianapolis, he's played in New England, and he's never had that big of an impact. Chris Conley has played for the Jags. He's also played for the Colts. He's a guy that's bounced around the NFL. Marlon Mack, as I just mentioned, he's on their practice squad. Justin Britt has been a center in, in Detroit. He's played all – Steven Nelson was a corner for the Kansas City Chiefs. So they have, a ton, they have a veteran team full of guys that aren't exactly that good. So it's a bunch of veterans that they got off the scrap heap for cheap, and they hope that can bring them something. Davis Mills is the quarterback, his second year out of Stanford, fourth-round uh, fourth pick. And this is a year for, for him to prove that he could be a starting quarterback in the National Football League, prove that he could be the future of the Houston Texans. They do also have Brandon Cooks, who's got a hundred yard, who's got a thousand yards receiving in seven of his last eight seasons. He's just consistently a productive receiver. See, I don't expect that to slow down, especially with the lack of just talent that they have on this roster. So Brandon Cooks will be at, will be the the focal point of this offense. The most interesting part of this team, the most interesting discussion point for the Houston Texans is Derek Stinley Jr who they took third overall in the 2022 NFL draft. Derek Stingley played three years at Louisiana State University. The first season, he was a Heisman candidate. He was playing that well. Fantastic. Second season, he hurts himself, only plays a couple games. Then last year, he's hurt, but also has played really inconsistently. And it looked like he was going to be the first pick in the draft for the longest time. He ends up falling to third and... A lot of scouts were even saying they're not sure if he was the right pick. Injury history, just his body language, he, he's getting worse year over year. He's a cornerback, and he's going to be playing starting every game for the Houston Texans. In college, that first year and change, he was so entertaining. He was getting interceptions. You couldn't throw the ball his way because he was going to make a play on the ball. Can he do that at the NFL level? Can it translate to the Houston Texans? They believe he could because Houston could have taken Sauce Gardner out of the University of Cincinnati. They let Sauce Gardner sit there. The Jets took him a few picks later. So it was a corners draft, and it was a receiver draft in 2022. Stingley goes to Houston. Sauce Gardner goes to the New York Jets. Until their careers are over, these two guys will be compared. If Houston drafts, Stingley, he's not that great, and Sauce Gardner's an all-pro, maybe a Hall of Famer when his career's done. You bet it'll be remembered. You bet they'll be criticized for making the wrong selection. Derek Stingley was electric in college when he was healthy. I think he can be great in the pros when he's healthy, just like I think Sauce Gardner can be great in the pros. He's always healthy. Just curious to see what Stingley Jr. can do at the pro level. Otherwise, this season is about Davis Mills proving he can be a starting quarterback year in, year out. And Houston, if they don't see production, deciding to draft a quarterback with C.J. Stroh, with Bryce Young, with a number of quarterbacks, Will Levis being available by, uh, by 2023. So that's where I see this season going for the Houston Texans, and I do believe they will finish last in this division.
That leaves us with Indianapolis, who have been in the thick of it the last number of years. Since the sudden departure of Andrew Luck, they've gone from Jacoby Brissett to Phillip Rivers to Carson Wentz and now to Matt Ryan. Five straight years of a different starting quarterback. Carson Wentz was an experiment. Frank Reich had him in Indiana and Philadelphia, and they had good success. They did in, in Indianapolis. They had the most embarrassing loss in the history of the franchise when they lost to Jacksonville in the last game of the season. Wasn't close. Embarrassing. They missed the postseason. So Chris Bauer, the GM, who's been there a long time, Frank Reich, who I thought maybe could have lost his job last year, look around and say, we can't keep Carson Wentz. Optically, we cannot do it. So they look around. His quarterback's moving. Jimmy Garoppolo's having shoulder surgery. We couldn't get him. Tom Brady isn't going to come to Indianapolis when he's retiring slash tampering. What can we do? Well, the Colts trade a third-round pick to Atlanta, and they get Matt Ryan. Atlanta's going through a rebuild. Matt Ryan's been there for a long time, but is still playing good football and wants to have a chance to get back to another Super Bowl. So Matt Ryan's a Colt. He's in the AFC for the first time in his career. And... It's an interesting change of events because Matt Ryan comes over. The Indianapolis Colts have the best running back in the NFL, in my opinion, in Jonathan Taylor. He's surpassed. To me, he surpassed Derrick Henry just because I'm talking about just overall production, staying healthy. Jonathan Taylor, since coming out of the University of Wisconsin, which is running back you for the record, He's just been a beast. Last year, he was the he was a, a force out on the field. He was a complete, you know, Mack truck, and he kind of runs that offense. No pun intended. He's the lightning rod. He's the guy that makes the quarterback's life easier. And we'll see what he can do. This you know, last year Carson Wentz had twenty-seven touchdowns, five interceptions, a good season, a solid season, but also. You you look and say, well, it was good, but it didn't win. It didn't ultimately get us over the hump. It wasn't it wasn't enough to get us to win. They need to move on. Matt Ryan comes in, so you keep Jonathan Taylor. You bring in Matt Ryan to be your new quarterback, which is an upgrade over Carson Wentz in my mind. They added a backup veteran quarterback in Nick Foles. Frank Reich had him in Philadelphia. They won a Super Bowl together. They also have Sam Ellinger out of Texas, who I think is good. X-factor number one for the Indianapolis Colts. Wide receiver depth. I like Michael Pittman Jr. a lot. I think Michael Pittman is going to have a huge season for the Indianapolis Colts. I'm talking 12 to 1,300 yards receiving because he's their best receiver, and after him, it gets light. Paris Campbell is a guy that's kind of been in in and out of the lineup for Indianapolis, never really proven himself. They also got Alec Pierce, who they took out of the University of Cincinnati. He had a very good college career. How he translates to the NFL, we'll see. I think Tom Brady would love him because he's a little slot receiver that can play. I think he'll be a good pro. We'll have to wait and see. They retain Mo Alley-Cox. Jack Doyle is gone from this team. Running backs... Are, is they're kind of like Jacksonville where I look and say they got Taylor who's a stud and they have Naheem Hines who's one of the best third down backs because he's just he's a great receiver out of the backfield he's very elusive he's tough to bring down 
I love the one too. I love having a, a thick power back who can run you off the field and then having a guy that can catch a third down pass and break it over for 15 yards when you need 12. That's something that's invaluable in the league. Naheem Hines can do it. X factor number two. Offensive line is not what it used to be. This offensive line is still decent. Quentin Nelson is still at left guard, future Hall of Famer. Matt Pryor's at left tackle. That's a new addition. Ryan Kelly is back at center. Dennis Kelly is also there at right tackle. He's coming over from Tennessee. But they've lost guys over the last couple of seasons. They lost guys to retirement. They, they lost guys suddenly to injuries that knocked them out for their whole career. And it's not what it used to be. This, off, this offensive line was great when, when Andrew Luck retired. His first couple of years, he was getting battered all over the place, and that's mainly the reason why his body couldn't hold up and he decided to retire. Matt Ryan is not fleet of foot. I'm sorry, he is fleet of foot. He's not fast. He's a guy that is a statue quarterback. If your offensive line is not great, you're going to have a trouble. I don't worry about Quentin Nelson. I look at the right side with Danny Paytoner at right guard and Braden Smith at right tackle. I worry. So I want to see how this offensive line holds up. It's not what it used to be, but if Jonathan Taylor has a great season running the football, it can help this offensive line be productive because then there's rollouts and every pass you have to worry about the threat of the run game. Not an elite offense, but you do have a better quarterback at the helm, and I think Michael Pittman Jr. will be one of the breakout stars of the NFL this season. Defensively, DeForest Buckner, defensive tackle, stud. Love him, one of the best players in the NFL. Grover Stewart, they brought in Yannick Ngakwe from the Raiders. He can still play, in my mind. They got Shaq Leonard, middle linebacker, maybe the best at his position. They also got Bobby Okarike, who I like a lot. Stephon Gilmore was added to play, uh, to play corner. They keep Kenny Moore, Jr. the third. Zaire Franklin. I look at a player, and I circled as an X-Factor, Quiddy Pay was the first-round pick of the Colts two years ago. He's playing alongside DeForest Buckner, so he's going to get opportunities. He had a decent rookie campaign. How can he get better? Does he have a breakout season? DeForest Buckner is a guy that it's proven in the NFL. When you have an elite pass rusher next to you, your life is easier because he's going to get double teams, triple teams, whatever, chip blocks. Key to this Colts pass rush being great is Quiddy Pay, in my mind. I, I like their secondary. I don't love their secondary, but I like it. And we'll, we'll see what, what they can do. But Quiddy Pay being productive, being a guy that can have an impact game in, game out. Maybe it's not a 15-sack season, but if you're getting pressures, if you're forcing the quarterback to throw the ball away, to, to uh, check down to his running back on a third down, you're doing your job and you're having as much impact as anybody else on the team. So Colts are going to be a good team, I believe. Uh, we'll get to who's going to win the division next week. I do think the Colts got better this offseason. This division is not loaded. I will say that. The AFC South is not a, a division that's full of great teams. They had one playoff team last year. And I would say they're going to have one playoff team again this year. The division winner will make the playoffs. Other than that, the AFC is too good. I don't see another team squeaking in. Just with just the way this division's built and with, with the great teams around the league, AFC East has better teams. 
And that brings us to the AFC North, who have a number of interesting teams. And I think you can make the case for... You can almost argue all four of these teams making the playoffs in the AFC North. In a way, one way or another, these teams could all say, you know what, we're, we have a shot to make the postseason if we do this. We can make the postseason if this, if this goes right, if this goes right. doesn't mean it's going to happen, but I'm saying it could happen. It, it, has, it has a possibility. It's not a, it's not a 0% chance, and you'll take that going into a season because there's many seasons where teams say, we're done before we take a snap, and that's got to be a defeating mindset. I see we have breaking news in the NBA, and that's coming as a surprise today. And It's Donovan Mitchell. I don't see the, the full package yet, but Donovan Mitchell, the Utah Jazz guard, point guard, has reportedly been traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Cavs had a breakout year last year. They, You see, obviously, they, they, I like the Cavs roster. Evan Mobley, the rookie, was great. Jared Allen at the center position. Garland is, is, is a breakout. He's a fantastic player to watch. I'm trying to think of the package right now. I believe Colin Sexton will be going back and return to the Utah Jazz because Cleveland doesn't need him anymore. He does have his promise, but Cleveland has Darius Garland. They do not need him anymore, bringing in Donovan Mitchell. So you'd have two guards up front. You got Evan Mobley. You got Jared Allen. I want to see the package, but it's not my phone. is uh, The Wi-Fi in here is not the greatest, so it's not loading right now. But when I get that news, I will bring it your way. Got to say, I'm surprised to see it. I did not expect to see that today. Did not expect to see Donovan Mitchell moved. I thought he'd be moved somewhere before the season started because Utah is committing to a tank. They do not want to win games next season. So, interesting development there. But when I get that news, I'll bring it to you. But the news of the day is that Donovan Mitchell is gone from Utah, and he's going to be a Cleveland Cavaliers coming at Eastern Conference next season. AFC North, let's start with the Cleveland Browns. He who must not be named was added by the Cleveland Browns this offseason. He's serving 11-game suspension for being a piece of shit. And he's not available, although Cleveland traded for him, gave him $230 million guaranteed, and it's really affecting one quarterback's next contract. Get to that in a minute. But he's on the sideline, and for now, Jacoby Brissett is the starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland has a number of quarterbacks in-house. They kept Josh Dobbs. They claimed Kellen Mond off waivers from the Minnesota Vikings. But Jacoby Brissett started in this league. He's not a great quarterback, but you know what you're going to get. He started games in New England, started games in Indianapolis, started games for the Dolphins last year. So he's going to be the stopgap until POS is back in the fray. Cleveland Browns also added Amari Cooper from the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys couldn't afford to keep him with their salary cap number. Traded a fifth-round pick for him. He's an inconsistent receiver. He's a frustrating guy to watch because he has so much skill, but there are games where he just takes himself out of it. And you look around saying, what the hell is wrong with Amari Cooper? 
Also, they lose Baker Mayfield in the big story. They traded Baker Mayfield to Carolina. A bad, ugly exit between the two there. So interesting, interesting uh, development there. Austin Hooper was cut, so they made some changes to this roster. They still have Nick Chubb under contract. They still have Kareem Hunt. Miles Garrett is still around, Njoku and Harrison Bryant. So I look at the X-Factors for this team. Running back production alongside the offensive line, which is still great in my mind. You got, you got Jedrick Wills, who's one of the best in the position. You got Wyatt Teller. You got Jack Conklin. This offensive line is going to be good. They're going to protect a, a pretty bad quarterback in Jacoby Brissett. But you also need the this offensive line to be good so that Nick Chubb can have big games, Kareem Hunt can be productive in the running game, and that your passing game can become secondary. So I look at running back tight end production in tow is extremely important. Chubb Hunt being productive, and then Njoku and Harrison Bryant, who they retained, who really Harrison Bryant stepping up last season was the reason why they could cut Austin Hooper. But I like I like the the pass the the good old line, and and the, and the the skill position players are decent for the Cleveland Browns as well. They got Donovan People Jones. They have Anthony Schwartz, who they, who's a gadget receiver, who I think can be better. I think they can use him more often. He did drop the ball a lot last year, and he needs to work on that if he's going to be a productive NFL receiver. Um, not to mention Miles Garrett. I mentioned Miles Garrett. They brought back Jadavion Clowney. So they, they have a similar pass rush. They locked up Denzel Ward to a $100 million contract, the biggest contract by a cornerback in the history of the NFL. He's great. He's elite. He's back in the fray. Troy Hill's gone, and the, uh, they moved. He's back in in LA, so he was a disappointment for the Browns last season. It's so hard to say how they're gonna, how good they're gonna be. They played Cle- the Carolina Panthers week one. Baker Mayfield apparently came out and said he's gonna fuck them up, which I love to hear. It's a weird season in Cleveland. I think th- they could be great. They could also be terrible because Brissett is starting for at least the first eleven games. Amari Cooper is checked in. Sometimes he's checked in. Sometimes he's checked out. He's never played in cold weather. Every game he's going to be playing outside. He's been playing in domes for his whole career. How does he pivot into that? He always seems to be injured during one game, and he can't finish. So there's a lot of question marks with the Browns, and it's one, it's one of the hardest teams to understand. And to be honest with you, I could give a shit about this team because I they are just persona non grata to me. I hate their ownership. They're full of scumbags. They get a scumbag suspended quarterback. Fuck the Cleveland Clowns. We'll see what they can do this year. Here's the news on as I'm looking, I'm trying to find this news. I'm looking down at my phone. Here's the trade. Sham Sharani up the athletic. The Cleveland Cavaliers are trading Colin Sexton. Got that right. Lori Markinen, former first round pick of the Chicago Bulls, power forward. Oche Ojabi. Interesting. He was taken the first round. Or second, uh, yeah, first round by the Cavaliers in last year's draft, won a national championship with the University of Kansas, and three unprotected first round picks and two pick swaps to the Utah Jazz for Donovan Mitchell. Big haul, I will say, Colin Sexton, they were never going to play in Cleveland. I won't want him on my team, so I'll gladly let them take him. Laurie Markkinen's been a, a bust, really, so far in his NBA career. So he's another guy I have no problem parting with because he is not an impact player. 
Oche Ojabi, I mean, he's going to be a rookie. We don't know what he is in the NBA. He was a solid three-point shooter in college. He's a good defender, and he's got length. I think he can be a, D, a good NBA player. I don't think he's going to be a star by any means. I think he could be a good role player, just a three-point guy. You put him in the corner. So he's, I don't think he's going to be a stud star player that you're going to miss. Three unprotected firsts. It's better than three protected. Where you know you're going to be drafting, drafting high. So you get that ability out of it. Two pick swaps. So you can make... Utah, what that means is that Utah can can see a year where, where they like Cleveland's draft pick. They can make a change, and they'll, they'll be taking the pick. So it's a haul, but I don't think it's it's a mass. It's too massive of a haul because I I don't love the players in the deal. The picks are the picks. that That's going to happen. So not to mention Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN just says, Sexton will sign a four-year, $72 million sign-and-trade to join the Jazz. CEO Rich Paul of Clutch Sports tells ESPN, fully guaranteed. Utah can do that because they're going to stink. Colin Sexton can go play on that team. He can be a one-man show there and have fun. But I, I, don't, I, don't see this, I don't see this as a massive, massive move. I, I really don't. I, I, for I'm I'm really gonna think about this for Cleveland, because they have Darius Garland, they have good pieces. I like their roster a lot, I really do. I wonder about him and Garland and Donovan Mitchell sharing the basketball. I'm gonna think about this one overnight. Really look into their roster because they're a team that I really enjoyed watching last year. I love Evan Mobley, but it's a definitely a woge bomb. I'm gonna mark that down for tomorrow's show because that's something I don't want to miss. And, you know, get into alongside all the other things that we're going to be doing tomorrow. So, interesting move by the Cavaliers. It's a, it's a move you usually don't see from Cleveland is being aggressive and, and trying to not go all in, so to speak, but also compete, not be complacent, not be okay with being a 7th, 8th seed in the Eastern Conference. They believe they can be better. They clearly believe that Donovan Mitchell can help this team get to a different point, get to a get to a, a place where they are closer to being in, a, in championship contention. And I applaud any team that does that because they don't want to be a small market team. And I think they want to prove that they can be a good basketball team sans LeBron James. So through all that, we got some interruptions today because breaking news and different stuff. But we're going to go back to the AFC North and we're going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh Steelers, Mike Tomlin's back, of course. They added Brian Flores after he was fired by the Miami Dolphins. He's now their linebackers coach. Mike Tomlin's coached 16 years in the NFL. He's never had a losing season. But the Steelers are going through a transition, and that is that Big Ben Roethlisberger is gone. He is retired. He's finally done the past three seasons. He's looked like a guy that was falling off a cliff because he was. He couldn't throw the ball down the field. His body was breaking down because he doesn't take care of it like Tom Brady. And he's now in the retirement home, and it's a new era at the quarterback position. Also at wide receiver because Juju Smith-Schuster was let go by the Steelers as well. So the Steelers first signed Mitch Trubisky to a two-year contract after he left the Buffalo Bills as a backup quarterback. 
They also had Mason Rudolph under contract for one season. And then with the 20th pick in the 2022 NFL draft, they selected Kenny Pickett at the University of Pittsburgh. So this, tra- this through training camp, through the preseason, it has been a battle between Mitch Trubisky and Kenny Pickett. And I've watched every Pittsburgh preseason game because I find they've been one of the more interesting teams. And both quarterbacks have played really well. Kenny Pickett has shown signs that he could be a starting quarterback sooner than I thought he could be in the NFL. I watched him a ton in college. He had great things about him. He showed some athleticism. He has a good arm. But there are also games where I said, well, I'm not sure he has it right now. Trubisky is Trubisky. He's got a he's labeled as a loser because he played for the Bears, although he led the Bears twice to the postseason. And that's something that should be applauded. The Bears, Mr. Trubisky was not the problem with the Chicago Bears. He sat his year as a backup quarterback. I don't think he deserved that because the last season he was in Chicago. He led them to the postseason, and then he wasn't given a contract offer, goes to Buffalo, sits behind Josh Allen, waits for an opportunity. So they get one-two there at quarterback. They also added George Pickens in the draft. He's a rookie wide receiver, getting tons of praise through from, from people around the league when it comes to fantasy drafts. They think George Pickens could be a great find. They, they have Pat Frarmuth is back for his second season. I love him at tight end, in particular in the red zone. Chase Claypool is year three. Frustrating receiver. He's got some great tendencies. He's also a guy that will showboat on a third and one reception for four yards and kill clock. So he's a frustrating guy. And they have Deontay Johnson, who I believe is their best wide receiver. X-factor number one for this team is Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator. He's in year two, but Matt Canada, you do not have Big Ben anymore. You are not hindered to running an offense that is archaic. You're not running an offense that can only be shallow crosses, that can only be checkdowns, screen passes. You have quarterbacks that can both run and use their legs. Mitch Trubisky is at his best when he's running bootlegs, when you're using play action. Kenny Pickett, I believe the same thing. They both can move in, move in the pocket. I wouldn't be surprised if either quarterback has some run pass option in their where they go and what, what they do when it, when it comes to their their offense and where they where they go with the football. So Matt Canada, motion before the snap, use Claypool, use Deontay Johnson, Pickens. These guys can move. Use them pre-snap, make it difficult in the defense. Also use the running game through guys like Claypool, like Deontay Johnson to take the load off of Najee Harris, who's coming into his second season. Offensive line still stinks. Still stinks. And I don't think they're going to run the ball any better than they did last year. It's something they cannot figure out in Pittsburgh is how to draft an offensive line. Get a good offensive line and try to make it better. They simply can't figure that out. But if your offense has motion, if it has some creative tendencies, it can make Najee Harris's life easier and not have him run for four, you know, run for under two yards every carry, and not have that as a staple. So those are really two X factors. Can't run the ball, but you got to use motion to make sure that your running game is better than it probably should be. Defense, solid defense. Cam Hayward's returning. Love him. We got T.J. Watt, reigning defensive player of the year. Still got Mika Fitzpatrick. Devin Bush can be a liability. 
Pittsburgh seems to always have solid defenses, or if they have a leaking defense, they make big plays at the right moment. Well, they got to stop, find a way to stop the run. The last three seasons, they've given up the third most rushing yards in all the National Football League. That's right, the Pittsburgh Steelers, who have made at least made the playoffs or finished 500 in all those three seasons, yet they cannot stop the run. Pittsburgh needs to attempt to do that this season. I'm not sure they're going to. Their two biggest weaknesses are defensive line up front to me and their offensive line. That does not bode well in winning games. Not to mention you have to go head-to-head with Miles Garrett, which isn't easy. You got a very you got a decent pass rush in Baltimore. And then you got Sam Hubbard, you got Trey Hendrickson in Cincinnati who love feasting on bad offensive lines. I'm interested to see where Pittsburgh goes. Mike Tomlin is being Mike Tomlin. He's not naming his starting quarterback yet. I believe it's going to be Mitch Trubisky to start the season. However, I do think we will see Kenny Pickett before the year's over. But I've always said this. If you think Kenny Pickett is going to start by week five, Start Kenny Pickett now. Start him now. You want to have your best chance to win. The Steelers aren't a team that just sits there and says, well, we'll see how this year goes. I don't think they, how they view this team. They do not view this team as a, as a team that's going to be 6-11. and 11. Maybe it will be, but that's not the expectations of Mike Tomlin internally. And he's not a guy that's completely irrational. This team could be 9-8, and eight, finish above 500, still miss the playoffs in the AFC at 9-8. and eight. But they could finish 8, 9, 9, and 8, 10, and, 10 and 7 easily because they're, they've had weak rosters forever, and they still find ways to win. It's not a weak roster. I think offensively they're better, obviously. Big Ben's a Hall of Famer. He's going to the Hall of Fame, but he hasn't been a Hall of Famer for a long time. Having something different at the quarterback position, having a different energy on offense should do this team well. We'll see how it translates. Now, we go to the two teams that I find the most interesting. you got the Cincinnati Bengals, who were in the Super Bowl last year, really the story of the NFL, and the Baltimore Ravens, who had the most injuries, more man games lost than any team in all of the NFL. Let's start there. Before we even get to what they, what they did this offseason, X-Factor, health. Health. More man games lost than anybody. Lamar Jackson didn't play the last five. J.K. Dobbins didn't play a snap. Gus Edwards didn't play a snap. Who else? Who else did I miss? Marcus Peters didn't play a snap. Marlon Humphrey played four games. Need I say more? They need some good luck when it comes to health. Normally, you have one bad year when it comes to luck with health. You'll get a good one. This offseason, Baltimore traded Marquise Hollywood Brown at the draft, draft night, to the Arizona Cardinals. He is back with Kyler Murray, his good buddy from the University of Oklahoma, and he just never worked with Lamar Jackson, so they're separated. They cut Alejandro Villanueva, wasn't a great offensive court, wasn't a great offensive lineman. They fired Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator. He's gone in Baltimore. And they also cut Tony Jefferson, the longtime veteran, the other day. So the defense looking, I'll start defense first here. I love their corners. Marcus Peters is going to be back. He's been an all-pro. Marlon Humphrey is a multiple-time all-pro. So they have a great cornerback position. Their, their pass rush is adequate. I'll put it that way. I don't think it's a, it's a great pass rush. 
They have good pieces when they want to. But the strength of this defense is the back end. Because their corners are great. I truly think they got good safeties as well. I look at that position. They drafted Kyle Hamilton with the 14th pick in the draft out of the University of Notre Dame. He's, he's looking like a great player. They signed Marcus Williams, the best safety available in free agency from the New Orleans Saints. He's been a multiple-time pro bowler. So Kyle Hamilton was great in college. You bring him in. You got Marcus Williams, who has been a multiple-time pro bowler in, in New Orleans, the biggest name on the market for safeties and free agency. He's now in Baltimore. So you've added to your defense. The back end of it is the strength. What kind of pressure the quarterback can you get remains to be seen. But I think when you have a when guys aren't open, if you have a great back end of your defense and guys just can't get open, you're frustrated, you're frustrated, you're frustrated, and the quarterback's holding the ball, holding the ball, eventually the pass rush is going to get home. So in this case, the back end of the defense might help the front. They still have Clayus Campbell, he's older. They brought back Michael Pierce. Justin Madubaki is a guy that could have a, a big season, but they don't have a great pass rush. They don't have a great pass rush, but it could, you know, we'll see. I love their back end. Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Williams, Chuck Clark is always great. Marcus Peters, uh, Patrick Queen's been in Baltimore forever. So great back end of that defense. X factor number two, offensive line. It's been a weakness forever. I mentioned they cut Villanueva. He's done on that offensive line. Instead, they are bringing in Morgan Moses. He's been in Washington for a long time. We'll see if he can work out. They also have Kevin Zeitler, who's, who's been a good offensive line for Cleveland. They drafted center Tyler Lindebaum with the 28th pick in the draft. He's one of the guys I loved. Playing at the University of Iowa, it was between him and Tyler Smith. The uh, Cowboys decided to go with Tyler Smith. To me, Linderbaum was the better pick. He ends up in Baltimore snapping the ball to Lamar Jackson. They drafted Isaiah Likely out of Coastal Carolina, who had a great preseason. Look at the offense. J.K. Dobbins may miss the first couple weeks. They signed Kenyon Drake. Rashad Bateman has a lot of pressure. They do, do have Mark Andrews, Nick Boyle, Isaiah Likely. Great tight ends. This is a running base football team that their offensive line needs to be good, and they need to run the football. Bateman, DuVernay, Prochet, Demarcus Robinson will come second on this team. Now, the Ravens have the third easiest schedule in the NFL because they finished last in division last year. That's how it works. Finished really well. You get a tougher schedule the next year. Baltimore had injuries. They get an easier schedule than the rest of the division, including Cincinnati. I think Baltimore is going to be a good team this year. I love Lamar Jackson. Clearly, I love him more than Baltimore does. And here's the real sticking point. Season starts a week today. Baltimore season starts a week Sunday where they play the New York Jets. Lamar Jackson is entering the final year of his rookie contract. He wants a big contract, which to me, I, I understand that. He's been an MVP. He's led this team. He's never had any problems off the field. He seems to be only fixated on football, and he's been a great ambassador for Baltimore and everybody that's been there. Well, there's this guy in the same division who I won't talk about, they got $230 million guaranteed for sexually assaulting people. So Lamar's sitting there thinking, well, he got $230 guaranteed for being a piece of shit human being 
I'd like to have more, at least the same amount of money guaranteed as him because all I've done for your organization is win division titles, win MVPs, and lead by example. Sorry I got hurt last year. Shit happens. Seems to be the sticking point, the guaranteed money. Russell Wilson got $165 million guaranteed today. Lamar Jackson's never going to be the best thrower of the football in the NFL. Never. But he can throw. This isn't a wide receiver. This still, this debate irritates me. Why doesn't he get the money? Why doesn't he get a good chunk of change for the Baltimore Ravens? He's a good man because he's going to play through this. If he was smart, he, if he was smarter, he would not play. He'd sit out. Play Tyler Huntley. Okay, he'll beat the Jets. Will he beat the Bengals? Will he beat the Steelers? I don't think so. Baltimore should pony up. And I don't blame Lamar one bit for wanting the richest contract in the history of the NFL. Won't be more than Rodgers when it comes to his total per year. But 230 guaranteed, I want that. I want that guaranteed because you know what? I've earned it. Unlike this guy, I've done all the right things and I'm not getting rewarded. Maybe that's, that's how life works and I just haven't figured that out yet and I've talked about that in the show before. But Lamar, hold out, hold to your guns, get your contract. Baltimore, figure it out. That leaves us with the Cincinnati Bengals, the team who got to the Super Bowl last year. The surprise team is coming back with a, a similar roster. Joe Burrow is at quarterback. They cut Brandon Allen as backup quarterback, so they're still searching for a backup quarterback for Joe Burrow right now in a surprise cut yesterday. The C.G. Uzama left the tight end for the New York Jets, so he's departed. They lost Larry Njobi, who is a pass rusher who actually ended up in Baltimore. But they, what they did is looked at their team, looked at the fact that Joe Burrow had been sacked more in his first in, in, in the last two years more than any other quarterback in the NFL, including 10 sacks against the Tennessee Titans in the ASC Divisional game. And they went out for, in searching for offensive line. They signed Alex Kappa from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to play right guard. They signed Lyle Collins to come in and play right tackle. And they signed Ted Karras, the New England Patriots, who's going to be the new center for this team. Jackson Carmen remains on this offensive line. They still have some two guys remaining from the offensive line last year, but three new faces come in. Kappa, who's won a Super Bowl. Ted Karras has won a Super Bowl. And Lyle Collins, who's been one of the more important offensive linemen. You know, great right tackle for the Dallas Cowboys for years. I still think they could tinker with this offensive line. I don't love this offensive line. To be honest, I've been skeptical about the Cleveland Browns, uh, sorry, about the Cincinnati Bengals all offseason. I looked and said they had such a great season last year, they're going to come back down to earth. And I believe the Baltimore Ravens are going to have a great season. But I just look at this team. They still have Jamar Chase who's one of the best receivers in the NFL, bar none. They still have Tyler Boyd, who's one of the most underappreciated third-down receivers in the NFL. Still have T. Higgins, who's just a breakout star and seems to play well every time you need him to. Joe Mixon is one of the most underrated running backs in the NFL. Great at what he does, and they got Evans out of the backfield as well who can catch passes. They're loaded. They also signed Hayden Hurst who comes over from Baltimore, who I like. He's athletic. They got Drew Sample behind him, who stayed, who's more of a blocking tight end. 
They didn't want to play Uzama big money. I get it. You're going to have to pay money to to Joe Burrow. You have to pay money to to uh, Jamar Chase in a couple years. So you, you acclimate money and you want to get an offense. It's more important to get a great offensive line than it is to get a tight end. Hayden Hurst can do the trick. So offensive line is not great. X factor number one, but it is more, it is improved without question. So we have to hope that, that he can protect Joe Burrow. Also an X factor. It's on Joe Burrow too. He needs to get the ball out quicker. You have speedy receivers. Jamar Chase is as fast as it gets. T Higgins is a big body. Throw it to him early on. Get the ball out quicker, less pressure offensive line. And you don't got to take big hits either. Also throw the ball away. These young quarterbacks, why are you afraid to throw the ball away? You're not a, for lack of a better term, pussy for throwing the ball away. Aaron Rodgers does it. Tom Brady does it. They've played a long time. Throw the damn ball away. Defense, basically the same defense. Trey Hendrickson, Jesse Bates, who I love, who did not get a long-term extension. Another one that pisses me off. Sam Hubbard is returning. But you have those three guys. Hendrickson had an elite year last year at pass rush. Jesse Bates is one of the, to me, he's the best safety in the NFL. He's right there with anybody. He said was so productive last year, was so good in the postseason. I would say the one weakness of this team is their corner position. Awuzie, it was second season since coming up from the Cowboys. Eli Apple is always a guy that can get burned in the secondary. Their defense is okay. Again, as I go through this exercise, I want to say that the bang. I just, I still have this feeling that the Bengals are not going to have a great season, but I can't fully commit to the take because they have Joe Burrow, because they have Jamar Chase, and mainly I love Joe Burrow. I mean, he's just, he's a winner. He's got that swagger about him. I like the fact that he likes the cut of his own jib. Bengals are not going to sneak up on anybody. That's for sure. Teams know they're good now. They're going to be ready for the Cincinnati Bengals. However, I do think, for whatever reason, even though I'm thinking they're going to, and maybe I'll regret not having this take when we get to December, they'll probably have a good season. They'll get back to the playoffs because they have too much talent not to. But there's teams every year that had a great season that don't have a great one the next year. Giants won the Super Bowl in 07, didn't make the playoffs in 08. Giants won the Super Bowl in 2011, lost in the first round in 2012, or lost in the wild card game. These things happen. Rams with Jared Goff didn't make the playoffs the year after he's in Detroit. Stranger things happen in this league where you have a great year and then it's gone. You just you can't replicate it. Arizona lost to Pittsburgh in that Super Bowl. They made the playoffs once in the next six years. Kurt Warner retired. Obviously, that's a big transition. They go to John Skelton and Scott Tolzien and all those quarterbacks that had to roll through Arizona until you finally found Kyler Murray. But maybe I'll commit to that next week. But right now, I don't have the confidence to say that Cincinnati will miss the playoffs because that's what I was thinking throughout this process, but we'll wait and see. That's the AFC South, and that's the AFC North. 
Not to mention that we get all kinds of news today with the NBA. Jay Gottinger signs a contract. Wow. What a day. What a, I'm just going to see anybody, any other news. See if... I think, honestly, I think the Cavs are going to be good. And I see Ryan Rosillo, who covers the NBA. If R.J. Barrett and two firsts were really offered, I'd do that 10 out of 10 times over the Cleveland package. I completely agree. Completely agree with Rosillo. Because I I'd, I'd, I like R.J. Barrett more, and i take the two firsts because the Knicks probably won't be good even with Donovan Mitchell. Cavs are going to be fun. Cavs are going to be fun. Wow. Interesting move. We'll talk about it more tomorrow because I really want to think about it, but I... I, lo- I I like the Cavs before. I like them even more now. It'll be fun. Fun team to watch. So, tomorrow, we will get into college football. We'll get into this trade. I'm going to think about it overnight. Talk about transfer portal. Talk about betting. Big money segment Friday coming tomorrow. Starting at 1 p.m., Matt Wright will be on at 1.30. We'll get into a lot of stuff. We'll preview the season. We'll talk about betting lines for this weekend. Tonight, New Mexico State. Plus 36 against Minnesota. Little gamble. Think about it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. I loved it so much. I'm going to be back tomorrow. This is to the point.